This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Okay, it's Jibs here from Pints of Malt. So our podcast is basically a group of Irish Nigerian lads who tell their stories growing up in Ireland as well as Nigeria. And we share our experiences with all of y'all. We also had a bit of comedy as well, you know, to get y'all laughing, get y'all through the week in these tough times that we are in. So y'all sit back and just, you know, enjoy the show. As Jib said, we're the Pints of Mock Podcast. You can find us on all streaming platforms, including the Headstuff Network. Mr. Paul Webster. Mr. Butler Lennox. How are you doing? I'm good. Very good. Um, what have we got today? What have we got today from our selection box of wonderful guests? Uh, Jimmy Smallhorn, um, incredible actor. Some people will know him from Love, Hate, uh, Git Lachlan. Um, what an impact that character made. But uh, in his own right, and uh, a... Uh, a fantastic director, um, film I saw when I was young and had had an impact impact on me. Two by four, um, amazing to hear the story of how that film came to be. You know, came out and you know, like, as you're saying, you know, just the neck and to be, you know, how, how he pulled it all together. It's an incredible story. You could, like it really is one of those like movie, unbelievable stories. You know. Um, um, just the sheer bluster, you know, and, and neck. And I mean that in the most positive way, like hustling in a really positive way to get what you need to get it done. Fascinating stuff. Um, it's really one of our more interesting episodes. And we're really excited about this one, Paul, aren't we? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We kind of had a feeling it would be a good one. I've heard a lot of great things about Jimmy from other actors and filmmakers and people he's given advice to and all that sort of thing. And, you know, it was always, oh, if you can get him on, you're going to get some great stories that we did. (laughs) Yeah, it was, was, you know, sit back and enjoy the fireworks stuff in a good way. Um, F&I stuff, uh, we've some really interesting things. Unfortunately, we had to push our members forum back a little bit until September, which is great because we have a little bit more time. Um, it will be a chance for people to network with one another in the industry and we'll have some very special guests as well as we mentioned before so keep an eye out for that if you go to our uh, website www.wearefni.com there's more information about that again that's been rescheduled until the 10th of September that's a Friday um, and sign up for that equally we have a membership program which is running and you can um, uh, apply to spend a little bit of time via voice sorry, video call uh, with some people working in different departments in film and TV in a mentorship uh, capacity. There's some really brilliant people from all walks of life, cinematographers, actors, directors, um, too many good people to mention. Um, Check that out again. Go to the website, wearefni.com, and you can find out more information about that and our membership scheme. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I think September would be a good time. People are kind of enjoying the nice weather and... Uh, you know, finally that we're allowed out. So September will be a good time to get heads back. Yeah, I think the last thing people want is to be, uh, you know, uh, stuck in front of a laptop of, of during, during the, one of the hottest summers, you know, probably ever. But yeah, uh, reschedule, uh, get involved. It's your community. It'd be great to see you. And the most, um, most important and interesting, um, surprisingly interesting uh, part of evenings like that, because we've done many of them over the last year and a half, is the one-on-one network. And so you do get a chance, you get a couple of minutes to talk to somebody in the industry 
who has attended the event as well. So they can be really entertaining. I know personally, I've I've chatted to some people on that feature, and it's it's a you know it's a real eye opener because you get you get a real sense of people quite quickly, and then you know you have a face or a reference then at festivals or wherever else you know to have a chat with someone in person. Yeah, um, shout out to our sponsors as always. Yeah, Wildcard Distribution, Octavid.com. And film equipment. The film equipment store, lads, for always supporting us and driving us on and being absolutely sound. Um, and we really, really appreciate that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, like, share, send this to a friend. Um, yeah, this one is for anyone who wants to act or direct and maybe isn't sure. Yeah, it's a it's a real kind of you know artist's spirit. Uh, anyone with the art, artist's kind of spirit inside them, you'll really get something out of this. Um, and just go and do it. Go and make your film. This, that's what this episode will tell you. All right, let's go to Jimmy Smallhorn. So, uh, here we are again back in the studio in the big space uh, this week uh, uh, with uh, Jimmy Smallhorn. How are you doing? I'm good, Paul. Good to be here. Thanks. I've been chasing you for ages to get you on the podcast. Really? I have, yeah. I've been kind of like snooping around, contacting mates, going, you worked with Jimmy, didn't you? So you're like this mythical mythical uh, acting on the round <laughs> yeah. figure to try I had to snake charm you out get, yeah. and get you on social media I to sound get you a in. lot more mysterious than I actually fucking am but yeah I do keep a low profile I don't know it's not that I deliberately keep a low profile, profile but um, I've, I've just yeah I, I'm, I'm a loner anyway you know what I mean yeah. and uh, not that you know when you come out to talk to people that I don't I, I, I'm like you have that Al Pacino mystique about you what's, really what's you I wish I had his fucking bank account <laughs> you know what I mean but I don't know I know I know uh, yeah and I, I you know something man I, I, I can't explain it. I, I, I'm I'm uh, I'm an unsociable bastard. I have a lot of friends, you know, but I just like I stay at home, hang out with the cat, hang out with partner, blah blah blah, you know. Try to write, uh, fight sleep, you know. Uh, yeah. Wait for the phone call to ring, you know. I'm very lazy as well, you know. I'm very lazy, but well, who uh, likes to impress as well? You know, that's part of it too. You know. Well, I don't mind a man. Well, do I mind it? I fucking do I mind it. <laughs> I do. I, I, the print press can be heroes, you know, because they never, you know what I mean. They're it, 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 at least live or a podcast or an interview. They get in snippet, you know, of of, yeah. of what you're doing. Yeah, and, they get a tone or. The, yeah, yeah, I remember fucking doing an interview one time, man, and it was in New York. Uh, and the mind you, I was coming down out of a bad night of fucking drinking and a few spliffs and whatever, you know. <laughs> and uh, somebody said, "Oh, it's four o'clock in the morning. Come on, let me go out and get the fucking newspaper." And do you know? And they the. The interview wasn't what I thought it was, you know, and and uh, it was after two by four, and uh, I must have been sounding off about Ireland and the Irish and the whole fucking nine yards. This is back in the nineties, you know, and yeah. I thought myself, Jesus Christ, Jimmy, don't ever do a print interview again. And I don't think I've done too many, no. right? Because of that, you know. Yeah. Well, the Irish press would be a little kinder as well, though, as well, wouldn't they? Pardon? The Irish press would be a little bit kinder, not the Irish press as in the old newspaper they used to run forty years ago, but the, the I don't know. I, I don't know about I don't know much about them you know yeah uh, you know I, I, I don't know 
I, I'm like, you know, I come up and I'll do something for a while as a, you know, as a writer, as a director or whatever, and then I go down again and then I come up again and, and, and maybe come up and do a bit of acting and get a few quid and then go down. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, like, somebody told me one time, who was it that fucking told me this? Like, the longer you stay out of spotlight, the longer you be in it. Right. You know, yeah, yeah. and I, I I won't mention any names, but I remember being at this fucking party upstate in New York one time, and um, there was a lot of famous people at it. Well, there wasn't a lot; there was about four famous people, but they were very recognisable, you know, and right. a number of directors and all that stuff. And I was sitting, and there was not my buddy, who's you know regarded, you know, and um, he's. And I looked over, and there was somebody sitting. I said, "What's wrong with your fucking man? He looks as miserable as a fucking as a gooseberry in fucking." Winter, you know, and he said, uh, he said, well, he said, put it this way, he said, this guy's got a, he's got like uh, 40 movies under his belt, he's got fucking millions in the bank, and he realizes he's only 45 years old, he's still got another fucking 40 years, man, he said, what the rest of his fucking life is gonna be, and I learned so much from that, you know, mm-hmm. like, you 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 kind of dream of all you think you. I don't never really had those kind of dreams, but you think that you know regular work and money and security and all that, and all of a sudden, boom, you're grand. But actually, it's it's quite the opposite. And I think uh, like I'm I'm always, I'm I'm always waiting to fucking start. You know, yeah, the next thing, <laughs> the like, next thing. The no, 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 excited not, by the next. Not thing. even the next thing. It's like I'm fifty six. Okay, if I can start now, this might be a good time now to start doing what I really want to do. You know, yeah. And because I've got all the stuff there, you know, and I'm like, okay, you ready? Because, you know, I, I had a traumatic experience after fucking my first film debuted at Sundance. It was a traumatic fucking experience. Like, I'm not cut out for all that shit, man. The, for non- the, the nonsense around it kind of thing. Was it well, the attention or the expectation? The attention, you know. Right, yeah, yeah. I, you know, it was... The, it's, like, when I made 2 by 4 I had never been on a film set before in my life. I remember... I had a theatre company in New York, which was rock and roll, great fucking theatre company. And I came back to Ireland for a year to kind of bury my parents. Right. And uh, they were sick. And then I went back to New York and I said, OK, I'm going to do a fucking movie now. And Sundance was the happening place. This was in the 90s when Sundance was independent, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I thought, you know, yeah, I'm going to make a movie. I'm going to get it into Sundance, you know. And people are looking at me. And that was like before, like like page one, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I said, I'm going, you know, but they're all into this independent shit. I'm you fuck the system, I'll, I'll circumvent that. And, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. and people were looking at me and they were saying, oh, how, what are you going to do a short film? No, I'm going to do a 25 millimeter fucking movie. Now, I didn't have the price of a fucking slice of pizza in my pocket. <laughs> you know, but, you know, it's like um, ignorance is a great fucking confidence booster. Do you know what I mean? When you don't and, know anybody. And how old were you then? Mid-twenties? Uh, I was early 31. 30s. I think I was 31 at the time. And, uh, I just, you know, and I just had this... I was working in construction. I knew these amazing fucking guys. I also knew, because it was really one of the first, if not the first, I think it was maybe one of the films, but it was, it was one of the first films to deal with sexual abuse amongst working-class Irish fucking people two by four was you know yeah right as as imperfect it was and it was as imperfect as what it was but i knew the stories i knew that there was and my own fucking stories was tied in with it was that there was this whole um underbelly of fucking experience like paddy was out there doing the fucking sheet rock and putting the old yeah. fucking <laughs> plaster up you know yeah but he might be down in harlem that fucking night writing the arse off of fucking something that has a balls on the and you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, and yeah. then he's going home to his wife and his three kids. How are you doing, Mary? Like, yeah. sausages and rasters. 
And yeah. I thought the fucking dichotomy and, mm-hmm. you know, like I remember there was a fella, there was a fella that I knew, I won't mention his name, but he, he loved to get the fucking, the, 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 the shit kicked out of me, you know what I mean? Right. But this mama in fucking Harlem. Right. And he got home to his missus and she'd see all these Black fucking... Black and blue when he was on the yeah, side. And oh, something fell on me. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but he wouldn't. He'd be down fucking yeah. like a... Yeah, then that was square as fuck, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know and what I mean? That, like, obviously they'd never get away with it here, like, but was it... So even the... Everybody went there to be free. Ah, that's the experience of New York. I mean, right. even for myself, man. Yeah, I mean, the first yeah. place I hit and I got there was Times Square, you know, the sex shops, the whole nine yards. Right. I mean, yeah, because, yeah. you know, it's all... You're like, you know, in this... in, in Growing up in Ireland in the fucking 70s, like, you just didn't acknowledge sex in yeah. any shape or form, you know? But it's mm. a very... That and God are probably two of the most powerful forces that we know that we have. Is there mm-hmm. a God and can I fucking get laid, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so they... they So, you know, and I, they were introducing me to this. They were telling me about all this shit. And I was like, oh, God, i got to fucking check that shit out, you know? Mm. And so it was all this mad fucking... War, like, just you a know, curiosity of everything new and, and at your fingertips. And, kind of and what, what are you not allowed to touch here, you know? This, yeah. Oh, let me fucking... T- like when you're smoking, yeah. you know, when you start smoking at 10 years old, as I did in Body Farm, I started smoking when I was 10, like, what, we're not allowed to do this? Give me one, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I was always an extreme guy, and I was like, uh, you know, like, we go down to the shop, you know, me six, seven years old, you know, and everybody buy a fizz bag, you know, but I buy three fucking fizz bags and pour them on top of each other. And everything <laughs> was all or nothing, you know? It was yeah, yeah. Like, and so New York and the Irish Mr. Sherbert, they used to call me. <laughs> yeah, you know. Well, there was one before that actually. I can't remember the name of. I'm dying to if anybody knows. There was a fizz bag that looked like the Campbell's soup, the old Campbell's soup that Andy Warhol designed. There was a fizz bag with all these kind of things coming out of it. They looked the most. Listeners, exciting. if you know, if, if anyone can identify this, it's the seventies uh, fizz bags. Seventies fizz bags. Sherbert, Sherbert, uh, they don't have the kick, man. Not dib dabs. <laughs> no, not dib none, that, none of that fucking, fucking amateur hour shit. That's amateur hour shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, which are licorice sugar. So, so, so what, like, what, you, yeah, you said like the like the New Horizons of New York. You were excited about that. You went over to kind of yeah. discover that. But from an acting point of view, were you acting in Ireland before you came? No, over? no, no. It was literally a case of like I remember two experiences that happened. You know, uh, first of all, I was working class and from Ballyferma, and secondly, my name was Smallhorn. So. I remember going to my first class, and I again I won't mention the teacher because he's 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 known he's a known man. But I remember walking in to this class, and he's and I was slightly late, and they were on the floor doing not breathing or whatever. And the guy said to me, "Hello, and what is your name?" And I said, uh, "Jimmy, uh, Jimmy what?" Because there was a number of Jimmys in the class, and I said, "Jimmy Smallhorn, oh, Smallhorn." <laughs> really? <laughs> you know. Now everybody laughed. But they were all middle class laughing, you know, because you you know you knew by the clothes it wasn't fucking done stars, it wasn't yeah. pennies, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I felt like the sweat on me, and it kind of became impediment. And then there was another guy who said to me, "Where are you from?" I said, "Ballyferm." But I was, dear boy, you can expect to be an actor from Ballyferm, especially with a small horn. And when I was a kid growing up, I was always fascinated with New York, and I always felt that New York is the fucking place to go, man. Go to New York, make a fucking splash, and sell these fuckers back here. Yeah. And I wanted to be the first director, uh, Irish director, to get into Sundance. That's what I wanted to be. Nobody, no Irish director. And they were down in the East Village. There was a, there was a, you know, it was a kind of a culture of dubs down there. You know what I mean? Well-spoken dubs and all that kind of stuff. And they were all in Sundance. And we're going to make a, we're going to make a documentary yeah, about yeah. Chine Cafe. And we're going to, we're going to get in there. You know? Yeah, it's a story about so a, beat, a beatnik poet, uh, Irish, oh, with shit, a Celtic man. soul. Party hole, you know. <laughs> 
And uh, and but so you know, I just I just said if if I can get into some and and the year that we fucking submitted. Sundance, because I want to get in dramatic competition. I didn't want to get into exhibition. I wanted to get in dramatic competition, you know. Mm. And that year they, they cut the f- films down from 22 to 16. Mm. And so I think there was 850 features submitted that wow. year. Yeah. And we heard that and I was like telling everybody, we're getting in, we're getting fucking in. Mm. How do you know? We're getting much, we're getting in, we're getting in, we're getting in. And, uh, and you know, i got to tell you this fucking story. This is the magic of New York. So I'm working, let's say, go back, uh, it was 97, I think it was. Yeah, 97, middle of 97 or, you know, whatever. And, but in 92 or 93, I was working in construction in this horrible fucking job in the middle of summer in August with this bunch of guys from all over Ireland, you know, Kerry, Tyrone, fucking Mead, everywhere. And I was the kind of the, the, the coffee boy, the tea boy, because I couldn't put a nail in a fucking wall, really. But, <laughs> but I was good at good demolition. But I was the tea boy, and the only place you could get coffee was in the film centre, which was two blocks, you know, it was just across the way. And I remember uh-huh. going in covered in shit, man, head to toe. And I was passed like by Charlie Bucket outside the the chocolate factory, looking in, going, maybe I could give that a bash. Maybe you know, it was a bit like that in a sense, you know. But I had this twenty five millimeter Bolex camera in the window, right? And I used to go, boy, and I used to look in that fucking that camera, and that was my dream. My dream was to be behind the camera because I was a kid in Ballyfermot, used to go around with a fucking a toilet tube to my to my eye looking. So around. I went that far back. Oh yeah, man, I knew because I was blind in one eye, I didn't know it. Right. But everything in life for me is cinematic, you know. Right. And uh, what the fuck do I get from walking over here with these <laughs> fucking smelly ass bastards that I like, great crack, yeah. to behind that fucking camera? How mm-hmm. do I make that fucking journey? How do I get there? Do I have to go to NYU? And then, you know, mm-hmm. I remember talking to Jim Sheridan one time. Again, see me, we're doing a show over there, and I said, I said, Jim, I'm thinking of going to NYU. What do you want to do that for? He said, well, you don't get a car. And you know, you've been doing that bleeding car. says, yeah, fuck that. He says, a lot of money. He says, uh, about $200,000. He said, get an awful lot of film stock for that. <laughs> 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 he says, what? Yeah, get an awful lot of film stock for 200000 I said, who give it to me? I'll get the money somewhere. Just go buy something. And he was right. <laughs> so I remember being in this fucking place and... And then you go in and, of course, it was, the you know, all the, the film people, you know, with their baseball hats and their little fucking briefcases trying yeah, to up yeah. the part. Huge building, the film centre building on on on, uh, on 8th Avenue over there. And um, uh, <laughs> so I'd be a coffee, scrambled egg, bacon, bring them over to the lads, you know. How do I get from... That's just fucking sight. And I remember, like, this particular job we were on, it was a four, five-story walk-up and we were on the fourth floor and we were carrying this horrible fucking sheetrock that broken up on our backs, in plastic bags, down the steps, in August, into a fucking skip. But I'd come over to be behind that Bolex camera, you know? So skip to 1997. And I'm down in my apartment, I'm living down on Stanton Street in New York. And... Uh, Back then, I don't know if they still call it, they used to, we used to call it dubs, you know, duplicates of, of uh, these, you know, tapes. And I needed to get 10 tapes to send off to press, and I was waiting to hear from Sundance. And uh, we had a, a post production supervisor called Bob Wormflesh, oh, Jewish guy, how you doing? How you doing? <laughs> and uh, he was a post production, which I had never met him outside of the editing suite that we had down in downtown. And uh, so Bob had had a. I was going over to the edit to get the dubs and Bob had left a message 
uh, to come up and pick them up in his office. And, and they gave me the address of the office. It was like, you know, whatever, 927 8th Avenue. So when I got up there, lo and behold, his office was in the fucking film centre. Ah, okay. Oh, wow, he's in the film centre. So I went in, second, st- second floor. I said, Bob, you're in the fucking film centre. He said, shut the fuck up. You got a phone call from Sundance. You got to call him right now. I said, what? He said, Sundance, they just call you. They call your house. Your girlfriend said, blah, blah, blah. So I'm sitting on his fucking window ledge on the second floor. I'm looking at that building I was working on. This is, you know, New York. And it was, uh, I said, and I called a number. It was Rebecca Yellman, who was one of the main programmers of Sunland's Australian. She says, hello, Jimmy. I said, yeah. She says, hello, it's Rebecca. I said, I'm not from the accent. I said, you're not fucking, you know. She said, are you sitting down? I said, Rebecca, I said, I'm sitting down on the fucking window, said, looking at the building that I used to do construction in, wondering how I'm going to get from there to here. And she says, well, congratulations, you're in dramatic competition at Sundance. Oh, wow. And I remember fucking screaming. Talk about positive visualisation, you know? Well, I I don't know if it's even that. It was like, I screamed the play, freaked fucking Bob out. I ran out of fucking out of his office without getting the dubs. I ran down and all of a sudden I feel like I'm in like a 1970s fucking New York movie because all the taxis was all like row to row to row to row and I'm banging them all, flying down. (laughs) And that was the greatest moment of my life to this day, you know? Like Sunlands was horrific. Horrible. I hated it. It was terrible. But why, getting in. Why? The stress? Just, well, first, it was a lot of things, man. It was like these big full screenings. I'm on the movie. I never thought about this. You're actually in the fucking films. You're having to see yourself all the You're time. in your nip. Yeah. You're dealing with these heavy fucking issues. Yeah. You know, uh, the Irish are going, fucking, no, Bart Falcher doesn't want this movie coming out. <laughs> like, where's Barry Fischetel in this, you know? Yeah. Um, and I'm getting a lot of messages from people saying how much it meant to them. Mm-hmm. Because there's a moment in the film where I wanted people to feel for a, for a second what it felt emotionally to be abused. That's what I wanted, just for a second to feel what it emotionally would feel like, how invasive and how horrific that was. I don't know if we achieved that, but that's what I was going for. Mm-hmm. And to have all of that underbelly of stuff going on, you know, to kind of make sense of where all that kind of sexual acting out was, and, and, and there was beautiful intimate, intimate scenes, but the film was all over the fucking... Like, I can't watch it, man, you know? People are always saying, I'm going to do a screening. Fuck off, really? you know? Mm-hmm. I saw it years, years ago. Probably, I was like... It was on telly at midnight or something. Probably something like that, you know. But it de- definitely, like, I was like, wow, I didn't know Irish people made films like this, you know. Yeah, because, you know something, it was like, what, where it started should have been 20 minutes into the movie. Right. What 20 minutes should have started, it was all over the shop. I hadn't a clue what it was doing, but we shot it on 25mm and, and, you know, it, it had a lot of respect and, and, and so on. And, but after, I, I just, I remember it was released in New York. Mm-hmm. And there was, you know, posters everywhere. And I just went missing for fucking six weeks. Just uh, I couldn't handle uh, it, you know. You're not like these people and my movie's out and they've, oh, fuck, I don't, I don't get these people. So you're not like an opening of an envelope type, you won't be down. Oh, no, 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 no. no. Should they, you know, no. I, I, I don't <laughs> know why that, because it's like, you know, like I've been to these things, man, and, and they're never real, you know. They're never mm. like, you know, if you're, if you're around film people, man, they're looking over your shoulder, who's coming in the door? What can I get from them? You know, yeah. everybody's so desperate to get something, you know? Yeah. There's a bit of sifting through the dirt to find the gold, though, isn't there? But then when you find the great people... Well, after all these years been in the business, I know the people yeah. that you can... Because the people that you can 
work with and talk with her. I, I also happened to be a friend, you know. Yeah. Like I just had lunch with one of them and she's one of my dearest friends and she's one of the best producers in this country, probably in Europe. And you do get that and I have some really great friends, but, you know, a lot of trial and error, you know, and a yeah. lot of stuff like, like, like you know, like I... I, 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 I I'm grateful that, you know, I know what I can do because there's not an awful lot of shit that I can do, really, you know. I can, mm. I can write, but to help a lot of people, I can write, I can act. But I love, most natural is to be a director is what, I, is what I'm most naturally at. I think know. that's what you're best at. Well, I, not best, but you enjoy most, maybe. It's, yeah, it's easy. Yeah, you're just being the ringleader, you know. Yeah. You're just letting everybody bring out the best in themselves. And, and anybody I've worked as, you know, as director, being director, you know, it's been a good voyage. There's nobody's ever said he's a prick, you know. Mm-hmm. At least not to me face or to friends <laughs> of mine, you know. But um, mm-hmm. writing writing is tough, man, because writing is like trying to get a whole bunch of butterflies to stand on a fucking clothesline and not move for a minute and take a picture. Yeah. And if one of them moves off, I want to fucking, I want to just blow up the whole country, not long, just a fucking, you know what I mean? That's what writing feels like. It's a great metaphor. You know, it's it's very fucking tough writing, man. Like, you know, I, like, uh, like I just spent the last while finishing the screenplay about eight working class women. And it's tough, man, about like when you have eight fucking, like, because writing women and writing dialogue is like being in a seance. They're all talking to you. Mm. Yeah, well, hold on, back off here, you know, and you're trying to... I don't have any favourites! You know what I mean? You know, there's eight of them and they're all, like, full of emotionalism and I like... Working class stuff is my thing, you know, that's what, I, yeah. that's what I'm good at, you know? Understanding it, trying to, like... I think that's the thing, but is finding art and, like... I always had this fucking thing about, you know, people who do working class drama going back to, even, like, going back to fucking Mike Lee, who I love Mike Lee, mm-hmm. you know? And, and Ken Loach, I like, I love Ken Loach. But I, I always feel that all of these fucking guys, they're almost like, they're all middle class, right? Mm. Some of them are champagne fucking socialists, right? So they're all like middle class and they're looking over the fence and they have compassion to see, you know, the get the woman with the 17 fucking kids hanging over and the father's never fucking there and they see the tragedy and it's not all this fucking terrible and all that shit, right? Now... I'm on the other side of that. I'm actually the fence, look, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I came to a family of eight. Now, my mother and father were amazing fucking people, right? But there was eight of us in the two-bedroom house at Ballyfermot, right? And we fucking loved it, man. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? We never knew hunger, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, because there was always a bit of fucking toast, do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. But, so there's a vibrancy and a resilience and, and, and a, a, a deep fucking yearning to survive that you, you can't get in a naturalistic way, I find very rarely do you get it. Mm. Very fucking rarely do you actually get it. And very often, like, working class uh, material is treated in a fucking, like, they're stupid. Yeah, it's yeah. rose-tinted or it's... Or yeah, it's poverty yeah. part. Well, yeah. Would you ever say, like, the actors, when they start doing the accent and all of a sudden the fucking characters are talking like they have weights hanging out of their fucking <laughs> mouth? Like, if you saw someone like that walk around Bally Farm, he'd say, come here, you need fucking help. You know, they're very few and far between. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. When you're raising a family of eight or nine or ten or twelve fucking kids, man, you better have intelligence. I mean, I've got this other film that's that's, that's moving forward this year with, with Maggie Smith and, and Kathy Bates and uh, Laura Linney called The Miracle Club. They changed the title, I don't, I didn't want to call it, but I wrote it. And I wrote about these. So it's been a long old journey, that though. That hasn't long it? journey, man, but it's finally getting there. It's getting you know? there. Yeah, it's definitely it's 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 there. You know, I wouldn't be saying that publicly. And um, <laughs> cut that bit out. You know, and I wanted to do a film, like you know, like you know, 
women of that generation that had all those kids, like they had to be fucking economists. They had to be, you know, psychologists. They had to be fucking enforcers. They had Account- to be accountants. They had to be accountants. They had to be some. Like my mother, so there's eight of us on her, my dad, so that's ten. And there was always an uncle, or there was always an aunt, or there was always somebody showing up, right? So on average, she's cooking at least 30 meals a day. Mm. I can barely make a fucking egg for myself. Do you know what I mean? How does she do it, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, different uh, stock. It's the it's same. It's a different stock. And, and I'm one of six. It's the same thing. You know, when I've one daughter and I struggle, I, like the, <laughs> the, the notion of having to look after six kids and try and you know balance that in, ter- yeah. in terms of your time and your attention. You know, and, and then money, let alone the money. There's never enough money. You know, ever. never enough. And I don't know how she fucking done. It. And like, like, you know, my dad came in and he, he like he he did this thing. Like, and and, th- and here's another thing, right? All the men in that time in the 60s and 70s in Ireland, the men never came straight home from work. They always went for a few fucking points. And people say, that's terrible. Do you know what I mean? But the men couldn't fucking cope. Like, I'm going home to a gaff full of fucking 12 kids. I don't know how... how I don't even know them. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. They didn't, you know, it was... It was like the women said, have your few fucking points. Because yeah, yeah. you're going to be happy and smiley coming in, not the contrary bastard. Well... You're happy on, on, on the, uh, the few days I have to get paid, but choose your Wednesday when you're no money. You know, you're like, yeah. I remember our next door neighbor, God be good to him, fucking Mr. Foley. And you won't mind me telling this story, you know. He worked for the central bank in Ireland, printed the money, right? Great job it was, right? <laughs> and he'd come in on a Monday. I'd say, hey, Mr. Foley. He says, I'll tell you how we am. He says, I'm broken hearted. I said, why, Mr. Foley? <laughs> Because we might have watching seven million pound pass by me yesterday, he says, and I don't have a fucking shilling in my pocket, he says, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, good. it was, it was, uh, so Monday, Tuesday, they're not in good form, but they started to get a little better, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's like that thing, my dad's very much of that stock as well, and he's like, no one gives you a handbook. You know, when you're, when you're you no. do your best. Yeah. yeah. No one handed me a handbook. No. You know, you don't get a handbook with the baby when the baby comes out. <laughs> I said, certainly not. And certainly not six handbooks. No, no, you know. It's it's just a whole different cut. Co- and then it's it's changed. You know, one of the things that I noticed, which is why I wrote this 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 new film that I have, The Makeup Party, uh, when I came back after being in New York for 22 years, I was amazed how language has fucking changed. All right. Like the women that you know, these working class women, their language are fucking the way they fucking tell you. And yeah, like yeah. women never used to curse, right? You know, Jesus Christ, whatever that was. They never said shagging that. this, shagging that. Was yeah, they thing, never yeah. said fuck or they never said the oh. c word. And a lot of fucking languages didn't use. And yeah, all of a sudden, they're very. And I was trying to figure out what that was. And another big influence that shocked me was the the, the impact that divorce had in Ireland. Mm. That was a huge fucking cultural fucking shake-up to this country was divorce because up to that there was just this sacred understanding marriage was for life and we're not like all the Europeans and we're not like certainly not like the English and them Americans, you know, getting divorced, mm-hmm. you know, married tomorrow and divorced the next fucking day. Oh, no, you made your bed, you're lying. And all of a sudden, you know, the middle class, you know what I mean, who had educated, you know what I mean? They pushed this fucking divorce shit, you know? And uh, because, you know, it's right for all the people, do you know what I mean? But they had fucking degrees, Mm-hmm. You know, like the, 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 a lot of the girls that I fucking knew, you know, they, 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 their only experience is working in the sound factory in the fucking top of Ballyfermot Hill, you know. That experience is only good if you live in fucking Singapore or Bangladesh. 
Do you know what I mean? So they had to recalibrate all of their lives when this whole divorce thing started. Go you know? self-educate, you know, and find the value in, their se- exactly, in themselves. Yeah, you know, yeah. and I was, there was, you know, and families change. They used to be huge, and, and now they're small. You know. Yeah. And and there's more loneliness going on, man, in their society than there's ever fucking been. Yeah. Mm. Do you know what I mean? There's more. You know, like a house grown up was always full do, of people. Do, do you think there's an element of be careful what you wish for in those circumstances? You know, Cause I you think there's unintended, unintended consequences. Mm-hmm. I think that's. I think we do things for the best of intentions, um, but there's going to be consequences. You know, for every action, there's a reaction. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's it's. Uh, I just think that's and you know there's a lot of there's a lot of pain out there that hasn't been. It hasn't been formulated into something that people can look at and go, that's me life. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I, I'm not into shit that there's always has to be fucking hope. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? There always has to be brightness at the end. Like, I'm not, I don't do that. Like, I very rarely will read fucking scripts now. I'm just not interested. Fuck off. Take a script somewhere else because I'm just. <laughs> We, you know, Irish films used to be known as memes. Did you ever hear this one? No, go on. A miserable Irish fucking movie. You know, I used to be in New York and I'd go, hey, I, hey, there's another Irish movie coming out. Is it not a fucking meme or is it, you know, it's a barrel of ass or we got a fucking need to Prozac, you know? We have the tendency, I think it comes from theatre, that we love this tragedy. We love to stay in the tragedy. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Hope and Wallow. Love. Wallow, you know, it's hope and moving on, you know what I mean? Like, how long more we got to fucking harp on about the fucking industrial schools and the bleeding It's shifting a bit though, isn't it? Like, some of the newer stuff that they're making is... No, we're going to harp on until a piece of work is made of it that frees us. Yeah. Yeah. Remember, this is going to sound very highfalutin, but it's the truth. It's the artist leads everybody fucking out. The artists come, they do something fucking stunning, and then the Midnight Express is a perfect example of that. Right. This movie comes out, Alan fucking Parker, brilliant fucking movie, the horrors of the Turkish fucking judicial system. The Turkish government were shamed into changing their laws, and so the, to some extent the judicial laws pertaining to um, incarceration in, in Turkey was changed. That's a perfect example of uh, something that's well-crafted, brilliantly made as a piece of fucking art, not political. Mm-hmm. This is another thing is where there's as political speeches and fucking films. But affect social change in a positive way, unintentionally honest. Unintentionally. Just do yeah. something that's true and honest and let the rest look after itself, you know. And that's what artists do. The artists go out there either by song or by book or by play or by fucking movies and they say something. And on a rare occasion, it's fucking amazing. It clicks. And it makes mm-hmm. people go, whoa, let's think about this, you know. Let's think about how do we, you know what I mean. Sometimes they put these things to... You know, for instance, the, the Magdalene Laundries that Element Films done was a great fucking film and, mm-hmm. and was a huge... And, and also was the documentary States of, uh, States of Fear. Mm-hmm. Um, an amazing fucking documentary that really put this... And these things changed fucking legislation. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? A documentary, you can call it whatever, but actually States of Fear was a documentary. It's a film, it's a documentary. Mm-hmm. Magdalene Laundries was, um, you know, a fiction. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Song for Craggy Boy, uh, uh, Ashley Welch's fucking great film, you know, with, yeah, yeah, with, yeah. with Aiden. These films, and I hope 2x4 was a part of that as well, you know, because, mm. like, I remember when 2x4 came in, 
And it was again, you know, they'd never seen a man in bed with a fucking nut of butt naked, you know. Yeah, especially an Irishman. Yeah. Especially an Irishman, and yeah. especially a handsome one like me, you know. <laughs> and they'd never seen uh, the kind of stuff that welcome we'd to seen. the w- welcome to the special edition uh, of uh, self praise. No, is no praise. Yeah, no. Welcome to another <laughs> edition of I great, take great pride in my humility, but. Um, you know, they, they, these kind of films, you know, the problem with, with 2 by 4 was that there was no, I couldn't find a way to redeem it. Mm-hmm. You know, he goes in, there's a very horrific scene. I couldn't, but I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I just knew I want to get a film made mm-hmm. that says something that's about rock and roll, that, you know, it's gonna, it's not bored vulture, that reflects mm-hmm. in some way the people that I knew who were in pain. And I knew some horrific stories, mm-hmm. particularly of the rural stories. Right. It's a little easier if you live in Dublin to a little easier because we'd hot press up here, you know, in the eighties. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? We we we'd we'd with a few things, you know, where we could kind of talk about them, you know what I mean? But down the country it was nothing. Mm. And so it was really f- for people that I knew in the most and I want to this day I'll never mention who they are, but fellas who were telling me the most horrific fucking stories of life for them, uh, down in down in these like rural cottages and the arsehole of fucking nowhere in Ireland mm. were going through just the most terrible, and it's for them I made it. You know, it really was for just them. People in, in suffering in silence. Yeah, you yeah. know, and, and and not alone suffering in silence, but like traumatized and fucking and, and killing themselves, you know, killing themselves, and, and getting out of these places and going to New York. And then they were doing the most horrendous things to themselves in New York, like really degrading, dangerous. Uh, like reenacting that stuff in New York, but now it's 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 all sexualized, and right. and, and I tr- just try to hit off all that stuff in two by four, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then before I knew it, like when I walked onto set and that it was the first time I'd say, I set. I remember like being in Panas Panavision, we were looking at the cameras, and uh, Declan Quinn, Declan Quinn was my dear friend of mine, Declan, you know, and he used to go around with this thing, and he'd. I'd say to him in the Bronx, there's a new shot, Declan, you know? And um, they'd go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I'd go, there's another shot. And he'd be looking at me like, how the fuck is Because Declan would be closing his eye and he'd be looking through this thing, you know? And we were in Panavision this day and forced him to look through the lens of a camera, apart from, you know, a little Polaroid thing when you were a kid, you know? And uh, Declan, I noticed Declan was closing his eye. And I said, Declan, why'd you close your eye to look through a camera? He says, because it reduces your depth of fear. And he slapped me across the back of the neck. He says, that's how you're getting the fucking shot. You're blind in one eye. <laughs> but no, it, I, do you believe that's the case, that, you know, you have an eye for stuff? Obviously, I think so, yeah. I think it's just like a, a natural cre- thing. A creative Yeah, flair. because, you know, you know where, where you put the camera is everything. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the key is you pick a great cameraman. Mm-hmm. But you can be you can be helped because like you can just hold one you know a couple of feet one way with the camera makes all the fucking difference. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Going straight on, mm-hmm. this shot can be look so flat, but you just turn it slightly that way, it's gonna it's gonna pop. Yeah. And Declan Declan Quinn is at that time he had shot leaving Las Vegas, and he'd done this amazing amazing fucking stuff on on, on leaving Las Vegas. So I was able to go. That's a great shot, that's a great shot. And he was able to, by far, do a lot more fucking shots. But he was able to light these things, you know, light these shots, and, you know, get them in the right... One of the big things I learned from Declan was the time of day you shoot. Yeah. And and uh, what light is, is good and what light, you know, is better for more for this, that and the other, you know. And then interior lighting, like, I, like I, you know, I was listening to an interview with Orson Welles the other day. And he said, before he did Citizen Kane... He sat down with Toland, the DP on that, 
for a day and a half and he learned everything he needed to know about filmmaking. And he was right. Because yeah. I, I went up to, to live with Declan pretty much in his house upstate New York. And he had this fantastic uh, room. And, of course, he had taught a film here in Dublin in Ratmoyne's College. And uh, I'm so grateful to this day, man, t- that... He gave me the lessons in filmmaking. Every fucking 400 blows, Truffaut, you know, uh, just, every, you know, Salam Bombay, Pichot, all these great fucking movies from all over the world and some of the great 70s films from New York and all of this stuff, man. And he he gave me enough mm-hmm. that um, I began to understand a little bit about what film could be about, particularly in terms of lighting, you know, because... Mm-hmm. There'd be a shot there, and I said, "Where's that light coming from?" He said, "That's that. There's a light to the right here. There's a little. I mean, he explained what the light was. It's a, whatever it would be four K, whatever. And what's that light over there? He said, "That's just the light coming from the lamp. That's all it is." I said, "No, no, that's just the lamp." But he said, "There's a there's a there's a dimmer on that lamp, so it's not the light. And you know, we've turned that lamp up, you know. And so I got this amazing wood, and and that was it. And then." You know, the only Cliché, thing... Cliché, but that painting with lighting, isn't it? It really yeah, is, you yeah. know. It's like, and then I'd watch that, like, I... The only thing, me as a director, I'm just good with actors. Mm-hmm. There's something happens with me and actors. There's a, there's a form of hypnotism goes on with me and actors. Mm-hmm. And that's all I can do, go with on set, right? <laughs> the other thing is, you just get everybody else in to do their fucking job. And, and do it well. Let them, people and, let, let and just do let them do it, man. Do you know what I mean? Just let them do it. And they're asking you questions. What do you think here? And you go... I don't fucking know. How, yeah. how important is I don't know when you're in a position that's, of power? It's, 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 it was the best thing I get to say. I mean, there's not power, you know. It's the best thing. It's like, I don't fucking know. What do you think? There's always a solution, you know. There's always a thing, you know. Like, the worst thing, like, I walk, I'm not going to mention this, ne- this guy's name, but I walk with this guy, this director guy, you know, not, I don't know when, a few years ago. And... He obviously completely lacked confidence, but he's trying to hide it, you know? Well, this is what we're going to do here. Do you know what I mean? And there's nothing more f- creates a sense of insecurity than, you know, when you, in, in the creative business, when you, when you go onto a set, I think a lot of people, you, you turn on that EQ, you know, not the IQ, it's the EQ you're turning on. That's what you're trying to connect it the whole time in the process is the EQ, that emotional fucking intelligence, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That instinctual way of being. And that's what you're trying to keep yourself available for. And when you turn that on, you you just tone into fucking bullshit straight away. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You know, you're really fucking, you know? So, <laughs> you know, just just be honest, man. I don't know what the fuck. Now, in fairness, a lot of the time I knew what I wanted. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. it was in my head. It's just, it's not what I wanted. So I'll tell you what I'm seeing in my head. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And then a But lot- you had it more importantly, you had the confidence. Or yeah. at least the integrity of, of the... Of, no, of I had the ignorance. Really? really? Okay. Yeah, it's complete ignorance, man. At least you know? back then, yeah. You know, it's like, I'd never done this shit before, you know. Then I've done, I've done, you know, short films since then as a director and I've worked as an actor on, on a number of things and all that kind of stuff. And, it, like, I look back and I go, hell, that was some balls to have, you know. But whatever mm-hmm. way, look, for me... I had a book called Sidney Lumet Making Movies. I don't know if you've ever read that book. Have you ever read that book? I've heard about it. It's a great book, it's right? Good, Sidney no, Lumet. No. It's making movies. I bought it in the bookstore over there in New York. And I had it hidden inside my fucking pocket. <laughs> and every time... Okay, somebody, toilet break, everybody. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, that's yeah, exactly it. And I'm like, behind the fucking pillow going, what is he saying at the moment? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And then coming around, uh, so I'll tell you what we're going to do here now. We're going to take a break for five minutes. Do you know what I mean? That's right. Because Sidney Lumet just fucking told me that. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's all bullshit, man. You know, it's all... At the end of the day, there's, it's, it's all... 
you know, there's, it's a very expensive fucking art form, filmmaking. Like, the budget on, on 2 by 4 was a million. It ended up being a million. It should have been only 600,000, but we were... <laughs> How did you scrape all that together? Well, you see, this is the, the encounter. Is like, uh, to this day, I still don't have that worry. I knew, like, when Jim Sheridan said to me that day, I said... You know, when you have that working class thing, you know, like nobody's ever going to give you money because they think you're going to fucking spend it on yourself. You know what I mean? They're not mm. going to give it to you because you've got to make a 25mm movie. Because that was the big thing then, man. You know, everybody was making movies on 16mm. Right. Or even 8mm. And then the video was kind of happening. Video, they were doing that on videos. Like, how fucking cheap is All that fucking Danish stuff. Oh, you know, no, all that. Well, even before that, even before the whole dogma stuff, you know, this was like... Like, I started time with, I, I started time with the idea of making the film in 1995. Right. I didn't even have a fucking script. I, I'd come back to New York after in the way for a year, so it was, 1990, it was like October 1995. And I started time with the idea, and I said, yeah, get a video. And 25mm, I remember reading the editor of, of an Irish newspaper in the airport, and he says, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going back, I'm going to get Declan Quinn. I said, they're going to get him to make sure. He says, you'll never get Declan Quinn. And I said, why well, won't I? He says, oh, he's too big now after Karma Sutra. I said, I met Declan once. Wait till you see. I fucking get him, right? And I remember, <laughs> I remember, De- I, I, I hope Declan hears the story because he, he'll remember it. It was, uh, and I, I I sent a script to Declan and he read it and he says, oh, Jesus, I couldn't do this film, Jimmy. It's, it's fucking, it's too, it's too fucking raw. It's too raw. And I says, yeah. I always said, it's too fucking raw. He says, I, I, I couldn't. I said, well, listen, would you meet me? And he said, um, he says, yeah, I, I'll meet you, he says, you know. Uh, and I said, meet me to give me ideas from other DPs, you know. He says, yeah, so we, we arranged to meet down at East Village in a, in a bar called St. Dymphna's, the patron saint of fucking nut jobs, probably enough. <laughs> and, um, and, we have, and I knew around the corner my producer who was, he asked about the money, so there was yeah. a guy called uh, John Hall who's passed away now, sadly, and, and a Scottish guy. Which makes it getting money from this guy even all the more remarkable, you know. <laughs> and um, and John worked on Wall Street. He'd never done a film before, but he was interested. I got I met him through to the co-writer Terry McGuff, mm-hmm. and uh, he was interested. Yeah, he was a very rich man. He worked on Wall Street, hedge fund. Was a bunch of them in the office. He said, "Yeah, I think maybe be, how much would you need?" He said to me. I remember I said, oh, "Maybe be four hundred. Four hundred, hey." Maybe I can go a hundred, I can get down to go a hundred. Yeah, maybe I could do I wouldn't mind fucking the week out in Sundance, be great. Be fucking, are we going to Sundance? <laughs> and I says, yeah, we're going to Sundance and also we got Harvey Keitel. Well, because I, I knew Harvey Keitel's girlfriend, that's all. Right. That's all I knew was Harvey Keitel's girlfriend. I said, well, I don't know, I'm talking to him. Hasn't it? Hadn't even fucking, hadn't even whispered it to fucking, to his girlfriend. And so Declan Quinn will be shooting. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, 400,000 Declan Quinn, how the fucking hell is great? <laughs> and uh, so this is how you start the shit. It's all bullshit, man, you know? Yeah, yeah it's a bit of like, you know, tell tell your mum that your dad said and playing playing them off each other to get the, that, to get the, the pocket money to get yeah, out. Cause yeah, because I said one way or another, like, I, I fucking talk somebody into something, you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, the funny thing with Harvey was... <laughs> Uh, and I credit him on the film with help for getting me. I wouldn't have gotten married to Harvey Cotel, to be honest with you. But it was a great fucking story. I, like, his girlfriend, um, Dana was her name. I, and I said, Dana, I said, you know, do you think Harvey could play the part of Chris O'Neill in the playing Trump? She said, no, he won't. I said, maybe he might. Mm-hmm. I said, we'll get him to read the script. She said, no, 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 no. He won't even read He just won't even read I understand now why he wouldn't read it, you know. But you mm-hmm. know when you do your full script, you think it's fucking precious. You think it's the greatest thing since fucking sliced bread. 
And uh, Dana lived across the street from Harvey down in, <laughs> down in Tribeca. And Harvey lived on this floor and above him was fucking... No, Harvey lived on the top floor and Robert De Niro lived underneath. Okay. And uh, so I'm in fucking Dana's apartment, lovely loft apartment. And so I knew how they met. They met in the, in the store downstairs, Harvey and Hort, you know. So uh, I'm looking over, you know, and I can see fucking Harvey walking across and I had this idea, what have you done to breathing in her house? He'd have to come over, right? <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I, I said, what have you done to reading in the play? He says, Dana said, he won't even go past 14th Street, Jimmy, unless it's a fucking movie set, you know, he just stays there, you know what I mean? I said, could we do it in your house? She went, what? I said, if we've done the reading in your fucking apartment, Dana, maybe he'll come over. Maybe bring Robert with him, right? <laughs> <laughs> so she says, you know, that's a really interesting idea. Let me think about it. So about a week later, we, we set up the reading of this fucking screenplay. Sheetrock was called. We had to change it two by four. And I had told John, John Hall, the Scottish gave it all the money. I said, uh, do you want to meet Harvey Cartel? <laughs> <laughs> he said, what? I said, Harvey's come to reading. Now, I said, listen, we don't know if he's going to do it, but he's going to come to the reading. He says, Jimmy... If Harvey comes to the reading of his fucking screenplay, now it's all right if he doesn't. He's got a reading that scene. That's all right. But if you get Declan Quinn and Harvey comes to the reading, I'm going to back this fucking movie. That's basically what he told me, you know. So I had to get Harvey to tell this <laughs> fucking reading. So I remember going over. The reading was at eight o'clock, and I was looking up, and I had a cast there, but a bunch of people to read the thing, and I'm looking over and see fucking Harvey's marching across these fucking windows, and downstairs I can see Robert De Niro marching across these fucking windows, right? And I'm going, Dana, will you call him? She said, if I call him now, he's definitely not going to come over. She says, just wait. So she called him. Harvey, come on. He says, I'm going to try and get over. Fucking, it's 20 past eight. Don't fucking try. John Hall is sitting there. Where's the crazy? He's coming over. He's coming over. You know? So I remember about 20 to 9, 40 minutes I was supposed to start. And I'd been there since about half six, you know, putting fucking bits and pieces together for food and all that shit. <laughs> and about 20 to 9, the door opens up and this big fucking two-foot cigar comes through the door and at the end of it's Harvey fucking <laughs> Goitel. And I try to be like, hey, Harvey, thanks for coming up. We're going to get going, Harvey, do you <laughs> <laughs> No, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. So Harvey sat beside me and they're all... One of the lads was a guy called Joe Holyoke, and Joe had never done a film before. He was from the store, and he had a maddest foot, madder than me, maddest fucking eyes. And he loved Harvey Goitel. <laughs> and he kept staring at him. And he said, Joe, stop fucking staring at him, will you? Oh, Jesus, it's Harvey Goitel. And they read the fucking piece. And at the end, I said, Harvey, what do you think? He says, uh, I can't do it. You know, I can't fucking do it. I'm doing a fucking film. He was doing some film, I think, with John Travolta or something. He said, by the time we got away, you got a fucking Irish mean streets. I says, Harvey, will you go over and tell that fellow over there, that Scottish bastard <laughs> over there, what you just said to me? <laughs> he said, sure, sure, sure. I said, thanks. So he goes over to John and his girlfriend, Dane, who was in a band, and they're all talking, talking ages, ages, and I'm like, oh, this is going great. And John is smiling and he's happy and all this shit. I don't fucking have it. So, <laughs> Harvey goes, see you, Jimmy, nice bum, and Harvey heads out, and God bless him for doing it. I love him to this day, Harvey got that film film. So, John comes over to me, and he says, Ryan, I says, what? Fucking hell, Harvey's after inviting me out for dinner. <laughs> what? Hey, me and Robert De Niro. I says, and I says, and what about me? No, just me and Dina. <laughs> And Jeannie, my girlfriend, and we're all going out for fucking dinner. And I was like, I said, 
said, what about me? I'm the fucking director, the writer, the bleeding. Just my you. But we ended up going <laughs> to this, to this, because Dana was in a band and we were all going to this thing where Dana was playing and John was sitting at this rounded table with Harvey Goodell, Robert De Niro. So he's had to go into the office and say, well, hey, guess who I was hanging here last night? Robert De Niro and Harvey Goodell. So a number of weeks later, he'd accepted that Harvey wasn't going to the film. We are waiting on Declan Quinn. But I didn't tell him that Declan Quinn said, no, we're not making this fucking movie. I got not making it, but I met him. Right. So Declan came down and uh, he met me in Dinfield. He said, Jimmy, it's too rough. It's too fucking raw. I'm not, you know, I, I, you know I'm, I'm on a crest. I'm getting a great rate, you know. Uh, I'm talking to Woody Allen, I'm talking to Peter Bogdanovich, you know what I mean? And I'm sitting there going, you're talking to Jimmy Smallhorn. (laughs) (laughs) This is is an offer. I said, John, and I knew that John Hall Mm -hmm. was two blocks around the corner in a very fancy fucking uh, French restaurant. I mean, it was fucking classy with all the people from the office all loaded. And John liked to be the fucking man, you know? So I said, Declan, what's your rate, you know? And he told me what his rate is. Not going to tell you, say what his rate is, but it was, it's, the, you know, it's a fucking, it's a good rate. It, it would blow the bollocks out of the fucking budget, you know. And I said, uh, that's your rate? He says, yeah. I said, that's what these guys will pay? And he says, yeah, that's what I'm going to be, that's what I'm talking to. He said, I have to, I have to, you know, I have to make fucking hay while the sun shines after uh, leaving Las Vegas. So I said, hold on there a minute, he says. <laughs> will you wait here a minute? He said, yeah, Why? He said, the only thing about your film is these other two are out in California. He says, I'm tired of being on the road. He says, I wouldn't mind making a New York film, you know. So I said, wait there, Declan, I'll be back in a minute. And I flew around to the fucking French restaurant and I walked in. I said, get yourself ready for this, Jimmy. This is the moment. Because John is Scottish, you know what I mean? So he was kind of, you know, he still liked money, you know. He was very, you know, fucking everything was money, you know. And um, uh, I said, John. I went, John, listen. And everybody from the fucking office looked Oh, that's Jimmy. He's the cameraman, Declan Quinn, you know, leaving Las Vegas. He's our cameraman. I said, Jesus, we're, we're in a competition here now. And I stood way at the end of the fucking table, right? So they were all listening to me. I said, Johnny. <laughs> and John was right at the end of the table. I said, Johnny, we got a problem now. I said, well, I said, fucking Woody Allen and Peter Vidanovich. They're trying to fucking rob him. <laughs> <laughs> right? He says, what? Did you hear that? He said, everybody, did you hear that, Woody? What's going on? I said, they're going to pay him X amount. And John says, how much? I said, X amount. <laughs> and fucking John's... And I said, John, but I told them that we can fucking cover that. Because he wants to shoot in New York. We can cover that, right, John? You can cover that, right? <laughs> in front of everybody. He yeah. couldn't say fucking no. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I knew he was he was, he was penny-wise, but he was $1,000 fucking stupid. Right. Like, he wouldn't give you $10, but he spent $2,000 on a fucking dress for his girlfriend. Mm. So I knew that about him. Yeah, yeah. So I said, John, we, we can cover that, John, can't we? We can get a few extra... Bu- hey, yeah, some of you guys are from the office, right? You can bump up a few extra quid, right? I suppose we can. So I went from 400 to, like, you know, yeah, 500, yeah. and then it ended up in a million. Fuck. Yeah. You know, but uh, that's how that movie got made, man. Amazing. You know? Amazing. There you go. I, I, we're, we're running out of time. Oh, we're, 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 we're time foolish. Okay. Uh, I'll just run through some other just quick things. Absolutely. Uh, then, you know, after that, a few interesting things happen. You do one or two bits in Ireland, and, and then this kind of new wave of kind of ga- gangster culture stuff yeah. comes around. How do you feel about all that? Were you excited to be part of it? Well, I was, man. Like, I I, I have to say, Walk on Love Hate was, was a real... It was a nightmare because it was the first time I'd done acting in years. You know, things was, wasn't great in New York for a number of years for me, a personal level, professional level. wasn't a good space. 
very raw coming back here. Right. And uh, through kind of a miraculous connection with Manix Flynn and Maureen Hughes, um, they, uh, they got me into this audition for the part of Git. And, um, uh, and, and I read for that part of Git. And uh, I remember they all fucking like, well, that was great. And I said, oh, I didn't get the part. <laughs> They're saying that. It's like, that's great. But all like jumping up or standing up, you know, uh, David Caffrey and Maureen Hughes and all that kind of stuff. But it was, it was you know, they treated me with such respect. And the the cast and the crew, like, I'm not bullshitting. You know I, be, I would say otherwise, right? But the cast and the crew and everybody involved in that were just... They just treated me for the... I think I was on that for about two weeks or something like that. Mm. They treated me with such respect that it, it kind of rekindled a sense of self-worth, actually, to be honest with you. And, um, and you know, I'd done that and, you know, I was... And then I didn't know what love-hate was. I'd been away, obviously, so I didn't know love-hate was this big thing. And then that, that you know... Oh, yeah. I, I, again, you know, the same shit, like, fucking... I'm not good on on the whole... The fame aspect down in this part. I don't even want to say that word, but, uh, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, just the whole uh, thing. I don't know what the fuck it is. I'm not good with it. I'm yeah. really not good with it. You know, it's, it's, it's something that I struggle with, to be honest with you. And because remember... My sister had begged me to watch it <laughs> with her and all of our friends, you know. Before, like, beforehand? Yeah. Before you, for the premiere. Before you read right. The premiere. Okay, oh yeah. Uh, when it was on television. And I, it was the last thing I wanted to do. I mean, I wouldn't have watched it on my own, never mind with the people, you know. Right. And uh, I said, okay, I'll watch it. As a, you know, for her and our friends and whatever, you know. And I remember this humping headache and, and, and she told him, now Jimmy's very sensitive, so don't see anything about anything that's going on, just watch it, shut up and fucking, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so the tension in the room was palpable, you know, and then we watched it. Okay, I'm going there, boy. And I got on the bus. <laughs> I remember getting on the fucking bus and the phone started going and I was freaked out, man, you know. And uh, I didn't know about the bells in Dublin on the bus now. We used to say to the driver, next stop, please, you know. And uh, I said to the driver, I said, next stop, please. Probably a know? rope when you left, was there? No. <laughs> yeah, probably, you know. Oh, there was, there would have been wrong. Yeah. And uh, your man said, um, your man missed the stop. Uh, I said, that was my stop back there. He says, you didn't ring the bell. I said, I told you it was my next... Now, I'm just like being on fucking national television, like, it was over 15 minutes earlier. And the bus is full of people. I don't know, watching enough hey, whatever, but... I said, listen, pal, that was... And all of a sudden, I'm playing gee on the bus. I said, listen, pal, that was my fucking stuff back there. Yes, And I started fucking banging the fucking thing. And I heard a voice on the phone going, Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy. And I went, what? Jimmy, get off the fucking bus. <laughs> you know, and I got off the bus. And, and from that moment onwards, I felt like vulnerable, you know. Yeah, right? yeah, the Twitter generation as yeah, well. You know, you know, yeah, you know, all that shit. You kind of get sucked in. No, not, I couldn't give a fuck about that. I'm not on that. But I... You, you just feel this vulnerability, you know what I mean? You learn to get on with it a little better, you know, but you do these jobs for a few quid, man. That's how you do it. Mm, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's not... Well, they're doing the, they're doing the job well on the day, obviously, as well, but obviously for a few quid as so. well. On the job, absolutely. I mean, you know, there's a there's a the great acting teacher called Jerry Grenell. He's a fucking brilliant, man, and I've worked him on, on, on a few auditions, and he he rekindled my sense of art form in acting, because there is. And yeah. what it is, is it's a conversation with yourself. Yeah. But for that to happen, you need to be working with like-minded fucking people, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, 
And how, how did I you love how I, I, I was like, I mean, Stamvalala, you know yeah, what I mean? I mean, yeah, what a fucking legend to be walking with, yeah, you know? Yeah. A hero because he never fucking flips a line. Never flips a line. Never? Right. No, and I'm like, <laughs> sorry about that, sorry, you know? Yeah, yeah. And Tommy's just patiently sitting there, you know? And then Caffo and Suzanne McCauley and uh, Stuart Carroll, and they were, you know, the three people that, you know, the, the main creatives, and, and they were just... Jeff's just incredible people, especially fucking Catholic. Yeah, we had a know? similar, similar uh, thing. We had Jason Barry on, obviously, who played. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. We be there. Yeah. <laughs> very, very much the same thing about that communal kind of. It uh, really was, man. Uh, well, you had such an impact. Like, you were only really in one episode, but it had a massive impact. <laughs> I know. Serious. Yeah, <laughs> I was in Carlo. I live in Carlo. And I was in a place called Tullow, which is in Carlo, but it's away from my town, you know? And I'm in a petrol station there, like last week. Yeah. And there was a farmer that headed me there, you know. Yeah. And I had a mask on and I had the sunglasses on. <laughs> and I said to you, uh, I was getting a car wash and um, I said, car wash, please. And the fella turned to me and said, are you good luck, Lou? <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is like fucking 10 years later. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It was like, I said, yeah. well, I'm actually Jimmy. I said, I played Left him. your mark on it. Yeah, I said, I'm not actually a rapist, you know. <laughs> And uh, it, it was I mean, because because I think it was because the whole series about was where's me there right yeah yeah, yeah. where's gay you yeah. know so you feel that he's he's is uh, you feel that he's got a presence in all the all the episodes yeah, yeah. but he's not yeah yeah very dead, much so. you know yeah, what I mean yeah, that's yeah. I think that's yeah. why he left his mark you know I'm gonna ask you one question we ask everybody who comes on um, you know because this game that we're all in is a big game of snakes and ladders and trials and tribulations yeah. How do you, A, deal with rejection that you have to deal with, and B, um, what advice would you have for people who, are, who have to deal with that? That's a great question. You know, the rejection is tough, man, you know, from the acting point of view. Like, I don't have that rejection when it comes to something that I've written, uh, I send it out, if people don't like it, they're lost. You don't, feel, I, you don't feel it as hard? I don't feel it as hard at all. I no. really fucking don't, man. I try and get as much comments back, and I go, you know what, I move on, get the next, boom, 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 boom. Acting is a different thing, man, you know, because um, you... I, I've, I, the last... I, I haven't acted in the last probably 12 months. I don't mm. know, about 12 months I haven't acted. Right. And I've done, like, three auditions, four auditions maybe, you know, and I didn't get... And one of them was for... Who I had lunch with today, my dear fucking friend, you know, I love her, and she wanted me to get the part, and it was a big thing, you know, and but there's a, there's a committee, you know, and it was a big international thing, so you know she was like plugging, 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 but it didn't happen, and she was no more heartbroken than her for me, you know what I mean? And you just the part would have been great, and it would have been great money and all that stuff, and you just go, oh, what the? Like, is there any fucking solace? <laughs> Here's the solace. Nothing is worse than digging a fucking ditch. And if you ever dug a fuck, I've done dug many ditches. I worked in construction. And I remember digging this fucking ditch. And it was 40 feet long. It was three feet down. It was four feet wide. And it was full of fucking rock. And I spent a whole summer digging that fucking trench. And I, I remember, you know, blood and the hands and da 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 And I remember saying to myself... This is the worst thing I've ever done. And I was working with some of the some people who I'd put into two by four. And they kept coming up to me going, I'd say that's fucking hard there, Jimmy, is it? <laughs> and I would never let them know. No, it's fucking great, I love it. It's great. 
It's great to be out in the outdoors. Oh, it was horrible. So nothing is, is as bad as that moment. And, you know, like, I get this from people. What, what, what's your best advice? And all. My, my best advice is always this. Like, the average life expectancy is 80. Mm-hmm. So whatever you're going to be doing, you're going to be doing it for a long time. I never thought your 50s would come around. Fucking hell. I, I looked in the mirror one day and I looked like me old man as 50s. I must be fucking 50-something. You never think your 40s are going to come. Mm-hmm. Your 30s. Life just goes on and on and on and on. And if you don't fucking die, you're just going to have to live, you know? But acting is not... Like, like I know a lot of people... You see... There's, there's an image of what this whole acting thing is and what being famous and money, there's an image of what that must be like. But I've known these other fucking people. Do you know what I mean? I would not mention their names, but, you know, some of the biggest fucking names I have met, you know, I've just met them. And I remember, you know, um, I'll I, 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 I lip it to you guys, so we don't want to say it broadcast, right? <laughs> but the name is... Right, right? So you know how big he is, yeah. right? And I was in the elevator with that fucking guy. We were both going to the same building to do an acting class. Right. And he was going to be too. And he was fucking shaking like that. And he's only like five feet tall. And I went into my class. And my class, um, <laughs> I better not mention her name because... The, but she used to be the girlfriend of this guy. Okay. And I said, I just fucking met such and such. And she says, was he shaking? <laughs> I says, yeah. She says, he's the most insecure person in the whole fucking world. And I says, really? I said, how can... She says, the more you get, the more fucking insecure you are. You're better off just being a fucking acting teacher. Now, get to work. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So there's a whole imagery. I also say, like, there was a, there was a guy who sent me his... And I looked at it because he's a nice fella. And a young fella, 21, 22, and he sent me something that he's done. And he, and he looked for that and I said, listen, always have more than one tool in your fucking bag. Mm-hmm. You know? Right, and if you can't write, get somebody to write. And if direct, and if you can't direct, get somebody to direct. And if you can't do any of become a bit, like, don't just be a fucking actor. Yeah. Because you can't make a living as an actor in Ireland. You just fucking can't. You know, the rates here are fucking terrible, man, you know, that just kept at a fucking level here with yeah, all the shit. We had know? Irish Equity in, uh, the, heads of, the new heads of Irish Equity as well, and, you know, it's a constant uphill battle with these things, you know? Um, yeah. What can actors do for things, things like that? Is there anything we can do, really? Well, I tell you, like, my thing was, I, re- I had this in the 70s, man. I mean, I couldn't get in any fucking door. Mm-hmm. Any door. I mean, even to go and see a play, like, what are you doing here? You know what I mean? Going to the, I remember going to the Gate Theatre when I went to, when I was in the 70s, going to the Gate Theatre. Well. No, to go and see a play. Yeah, I know, but did you feel, and, and did, go, were, were you made and, feel uncomfortable? Yeah, because I've got that working class fucking energy, man, you know, it's like you can't, it's like, you know, they, they just, what are you doing here? And I could have said, listen, I got my money, could have hated the play, but it was like, I, was, I, I just walked away. Now, I never had experience after seeing the Abbey, mm. you know, but I did in the gay. So, very early in my fucking mind, what I did, I can't tell what other people what to do, right? But what I decided was, the only way, Jimmy, that you're going to be, you have to fucking do this stuff is to do it yourself. And that's what 2 by 4 I proved that to myself. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And, uh, and then I said, and then after 2 by 4 right, this is what I said. I said, now I'm going to write a script and I'm going to get legends to play my mother and my mother's neighbours. And at one point, that cast was Joan Allen, Kathy Bates, Maggie Smith, Claire Danes, and um, Julie Walters. 
And we'd met, Rosie O'Donnell was going to do it, we, you know, she was talking about a TV show, she was going to do it. And I can I can say this, you know what I mean? You can say this publicly and, and, and be an asshole. And we met Frances McDormand, she wanted to do it and all that stuff. And that was my goal, you know. I know that, you know, and it's been a long, rocky fucking road because the budget went to 15 million, it went to fucking 18 million. You know, the budget isn't, it's, I don't know, it's less than 10, as I'm allowed to say, you know. Mm-hmm. And we've gotten it right and we, we can get it going now, you know. But that was, I said, I'm going to get that fucking done. And here's what I say to kids. This might be a little hard to understand, but here's what I say to people, you know. Life is about the fucking encounters that you make along the road. That's who it is. It's not, like, like Jim Sherman's like, fuck MOU, you know what I mean? I'm better off down with the fucking hookers on 42nd Street hanging out, man. <laughs> Getting influenced, you know what I mean? Mm. It's the encounters that you meet in your life. John Hall, who ended up putting, he put 400,000, he put uh, 450,000. Darren Davey, God bless him, an Englishman, he he was his partner in this company. He put another 450,000 in. I never have never met Darren Davey or talked to him this fucking day. And then everybody in that office put 100,000 in. I've never met any of them people to this day. Mm-hmm. But just through the encounter of Terry McGough, who co-wrote with me, and meeting John Hall... You know, that was an encounter that resulted in two by four. This uh, movie with, with uh, the Miracle Club was an encounter that I had with Joan Allen because we worked together on a film called When the Sky Falls. And she was interested in producing and I showed her a script and she said, because it's a very good script. It's a really, really good, funny script. And um, uh, and it's, it's actually very poignant. And actually, I'm not going to say what it is, but it's got a hidden fucking thing underneath it. The, really what the film is about, why these women go to Lourdes, is to reveal something that's... It's pretty, pretty <laughs> but it's done in such a way that the Pope would be happy with, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, so it's got <laughs> it is, you know. <laughs> so it's it's like in your mind, it's like have an idea of what you want to do, and do it yourself. Like the, the system is made to keep you fucking out. Mm. As, as Scorsese talks about that. Mm. Scorsese said the system, the film business, is because if if you get in, somebody else gets pushed out. That's what they think. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So find what you're about. Don't do it for the fucking, you know, money or for the fame or that shit. Do it because in doing it, and I, this sounds very grandiose, but it's really what I live by, you know. Do it to try and make the world a better. Like, the Jews have this great idea, right? Because I, 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 I was with a, a Jewish girl for four years and used to go to Israel quite quite regularly and, and I'd hang out smoking dope with all these fucking crazy Israelis in, in the Sinai Desert and all that shit. And, uh, and I'd ask them what they thought of Jesus Christ, and they say, hey, you know, he was okay. I said, what do you really think of him? Oh, so he was fucking nuts, you know? I mean, Jesus, he thinks he's a messiah, you know? Like, they would literally tell you this stuff, and I'd say, well, why does everybody hate the Jews? And they say, because we're intelligent, you know? We, we're doctors, we're lawyers, you know? But we had to be because we're not land, blah, 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 blah. But they told me this beautiful story about that. They believe that the world is an imperfect place. And that it's our job to make it a perfect place. And each of us has this little, small, little plot of fucking land to make a better place. And that's how we see it, man. Mm-hmm. I, I see, when when I when I go over, flying over Ireland, and I see all them little fucking, you know, little squares of the green, green patches. Here, yeah, I was like, one of them is mine. <laughs> really, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's my fucking job. That's all my job is, and primarily not as an actor. It's not as an actor, it's as a writer-director. You know? It's the farm that land and make it better. Just that bit. Yeah. It's not, not like, you know, all the other stuff, you know, like this makeup party, I'm, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to recognise a part of our society that was deeply impacted by divorce that's been forgotten about. 
Mm-hmm. Working class women who weren't given the fucking skills to deal with this fucking, you know, avalanche of a brand new culture into our country mm-hmm. that had never existed before. Mm-hmm. Where marriage is over, he's gone, and he's with fucking Mary now. What? That bitch! <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. What am I going to do with the four kids? No money. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Rent allowance, selling the house, all of this culture, man. It's like this was a fucking shock. Because divorce only came into this world in 1996. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. it, it had a massive impact, you know, and, and I wanted to put a film up there that says, this is what he's a hoarding about. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And and uh, and that's what we're going to make, you know? Yeah. And we're going to make it as cinematically as we possibly can, you know? Sounds really, really exciting. It uh, is, it is, it just is. Just to be, you know, have some creative ownership over something moving forward, it must be very... Yeah, because... The buzz must be back. It is, because I don't really have creative... I mean, I'm 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 doing the rewrites and the writing of, but I don't when you when you, the Miracle Club, which you know it's, it's called. I'm not happy with the name, right? <laughs> but uh, it's a what, what's the name though? You know, really. I'd say everything, man. Mm. I wanted to call it Pushers Needed. That was the original name, Pushers Needed, like wheelchair pushers, right? Because they need they need wheelchair pushers <laughs> in there, and I thought wheelchair pushers pushers needed. And they said, no, 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 we can't rally girls there, man, because, you know, it's, it's a double take. We're going to have to explain. It's not about fucking drugs. I said, okay, right, fair enough. So I, I don't I have very limited input into that in terms of creativity, but anything that I put forward, they couldn't seem to agree with, so it, it's going okay, you know. But this this, this <laughs> makeup party, I, I'll have 100% of it. Lovely. You know. Great place to leave it. Um, thanks so much. Um, well, thanks I'm, gl- I'm glad I chased you. For, well, for a year to get you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see now why I don't do these things because I talk like shy for a long time. And I'm like, well, no, what no. the fuck did I say, no, man? No, 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 that's what it's all about. We love listening and, and people love listening. So yeah, that, but then there's consequences when you go, excuse me, what is it? You're looking for money? You said what? Yeah, you know. What do you mean? We paid you this amount of money. So all that goes through my head, you know what I mean? And crash the card and dead. Yeah, and let, me tell you, let, let me tell you, most of the time it goes out kind of as is um, and we, there's never blowback for anything. You know, people speak their mind and they feel comfortable enough Great. to to tell our story so that's what we want lovely and guys if you appreciate that there's uh, you know there's a couple of other episodes that'll tie in with this uh, along the way so have a listen um, Paul Jimmy that was fantastic great to finally meet you and so, you too best of luck with the project <laughs> and good luck on the boat he's going out on the boat tomorrow yeah, right at the yeah. scaries you will never be a fisherman you're going to need a bigger boat <laughs> <laughs> I'm fucking nervous now <laughs> um, cheers man have a great day thank you you too Paul thanks. you too Paul thanks cheers is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.